You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I am with Janine Halloran. And Janine, thank you for making the time to be with us today. And we're going to talk all things coping skills, both for children and for ourselves. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Um, so first, I, I, I always like to start with having my guests define what the art of parenting means to them. Oh, gosh. Um, so for me, I think it really is that balance between being able to teach and connect and redirect when needed, because you have to do all of those things. And it depends on how old they are. It depends on the situation, but it really, there's an art to knowing when to step in, when to stay back and be more of a coach role. So it's really about trying to find that right thing to do in the moment. And you may not get it right. I guess the other thing is, you know, the art of parenting is being able to be comfortable with making mistakes and giving yourself grace and being able to know that you can always have a do-over. Mm, I like that. Teach, redirect and connect. So important. And and the re, redo is very important. I think we, we forget that and we think, you know, we beat ourselves up for our mistakes, but we always have an opportunity for a redo. Yes, wonderful. So before we get started in a conversation, I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and of the work you do and maybe how you got to do the work that you're doing. Oh, sure. So I am a licensed mental health counselor, and I've been working with children, teens, and their families for over 20 years. Um, I wanted to be a counselor. I knew that when I was in high school, and I went straight through and I did that. Um, I worked in schools for a while, and then I had my own children. And so I wanted to sort of shift where I was spending as much energy. So I decided that I was going to do more individual work, work in groups that would be after school. So I was able to spend a little bit more time at home when my kids were at home and younger. Um, And it really has developed into, you know, I still see kids privately now. I still see and work with families privately. And I run Coping Skills for Kids, which is really just about 
helping families be able to figure out strategies that will work for their kids when they're having big feelings and what to do when you get angry or frustrated or overwhelmed. So I sort of, as I was coming out of working in schools, I started that up and it has just grown more than I anticipated. I just, I sort of made things that I wanted to make um, and I wish I had had as a school counselor and as a parent. And then it just sort of went from there. So, so, so coping skills for kids are um, like material for the families or do you, do you continue working with the children? So I actually find for coping skills for kids, I, I, it's stuff that um, works for children, but in order for kids to get it, the adult has to understand what the strategy is, right? Okay. Okay. So, and um, so the work that I do when I create things for kids to understand what their strategies are, I make it so that it's kid friendly, it's colorful, it is simple, but it's also something that uh, the adult who's working with them can grasp pretty quickly. So I do I do things that will that can transfer to schools, to counseling offices and to homes. So that's a lot of the people that I talk to and listen to my podcast and look at the work that I do. They're educators, they're professionals and their families. So it's an interesting mix of who is coming to look for this material. Yeah, and and to me it's no surprise that it's it's grown so much because I think this this is very important tools for for children and families, right? Where we get so overwhelmed with our children's big emotions, sometimes we don't know how to cope <laughs> with what's going on. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So could you share with us maybe some of the tools that you, you know, some of the skills that you teach uh, young children? And maybe if there are some parents that are listening that are, you know, struggling with understanding what's going on and maybe helping their child cope with these big emotions, like what would be your, your go-to kind of skill that you would want the child to have? So if there's a couple of my go-to strategies, so there's um, one thing that I do is really focus on identifying feelings because when you are able to identify what you feel, it's automatically easier for you to then self-regulate. So if you can say, I feel angry, then it makes it easier for you to be able to manage that angry feeling. Even just saying, I feel angry, can I've seen it happen with kids where it just sort of diffuses them a little bit. And then we can have a conversation about what made you angry. Okay, well, why don't we try squeezing some Play-Doh? Why don't we do a few jumping jacks? Why don't we take a little walk to get some of that anger out in a safe way? So um, I really love um, to be able to identify feelings. And there's like, especially for younger kids, it doesn't have to be over the top, really um, a big thing that you do. It could be you're reading a book together and you're talking about the feelings of the characters in the book, or you're watching a TV show and you're talking about the characters' feelings. You know, you do a check-in at the end of the day when they, maybe if they're coming off the school bus after a day of school and you give, they, they can give you a thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down, and let's talk about those different things. So I really love 
the focus on just identifying feelings because that's that first layer that really it can be super helpful in learning to self-regulate. And when you say uh, identify the feelings, I mean, to me, what comes to mind is just, you know, emotional vocabulary, emotional literacy to, to be able to talk about them. But how young do you start or, or like when you're working with parents, like how soon should we be talking about emotions? You know, I think you can do it when they're in preschool. I did with mine. So you can talk about it and you don't have to go really deep and and wide when they're that little. You can start with something as simple as I feel happy, I feel sad, I feel mad. And even just that can help you start to then build that emotional vocabulary. Um, because when you, you are able to start identifying those, then you can add in other ones um, as time goes on and as they get bigger and as they understand a little bit more, feel different things. So it's easier to start when they're younger. And what I love is that there are so many great TV shows and there's so many great books where you can really spark those conversations about what the characters are feeling. So for instance, I've been reading um, with some of my younger clients, I've been reading Elephant and Piggy books, you know, the Mo Willems books. Um, I don't. Oh my gosh, they're so <laughs> funny. My kids loved them when they were little. And so, um, you know, Elephant and Piggy they and Pigeon, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. They have really big emotions. The piggy gets upset, the pigeon gets upset. And so it's a great conversation starter. We're like, wow, pigeon's having a lot of big feelings. What should pigeon do? <laughs> That's good, right? And and to be able to to identify those. And and I was thinking when you were saying preschool, I was thinking, well, we could probably start even sooner just by expressing our own feelings, right? Because yes. we're we're modeling that to them from from day one. Yes, absolutely. So I will often narrate my own feelings. Feelings that, you know, so when I, I'm oh, I'm so happy. And I will explain why I'm so happy because this flower, it's, it feels so good to be walking in the sun, or I'm feeling a little bit frustrated because we're sitting in traffic, you know, especially when they're little, I'm not talking about like really big, like I'm stressed out about money or I'm stressed out about the world. I'm trying to keep it some somewhat simple for them and age appropriate for them to understand things can make you feel different ways. I am I'm a little bit worried about this, or I'm like worried about making sure that we cross the parking lot safely, um, those sorts of things. So I will often narrate, and I still narrate. Like I'm feeling frustrated with my teenagers. I'm feeling frustrated, right. <laughs> so I'm going to go for a walk. Does anybody want to come with me? Or <laughs> I need a break. I'm going to watch a TV show. So I still find myself narrating, even with my teens. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and they they must have very good emotional vocabulary and be able to identify their emotion. I imagine your two teenagers. Um, you know they do, but you know they are still teenagers, so their brains are growing and developing, and some days are easier than others. <laughs> right, right. And so you 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 mentioned that you know the first thing is to identify the the emotion. What would be the next step after that? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're naming it. Do you talk about like, where do you feel it in your body? Or, you know, what, what would be the next step after that? So I love the idea of where you feel it in your body, because that can give you clues for the next time 
you're feeling it. So I feel angry. Where do I feel my anger? I feel it in my tummy. I feel it in my hands. I feel it in my shoulders. So then, and I will, I actually have um, kids sometimes even draw on a piece of paper with a, a image of a person so that they can tell me, you know, I, and they color it in. So if they're, if it's mad, they color it in the color they choose. Sometimes kids choose red and they will say, you know, it's, it's here in my belly, it's here in my hands, it's here in my feet. And so then I can use that as a jumping off point and saying, okay, so if you're starting to feel that red in your belly and your hands and in your feet, that means that you're feeling mad. That's your brain and your body giving you the signal, you're mad. So then let's figure out what you can do with that mad that is going to keep you safe and keep everybody else safe and not damage any property. <laughs> right, right. And so what are those ways to to actually process that anger or, or that frustration that you suggest to children? Or do you let them kind of come up with those solutions? So for me, what I like to do is actually teach in the moments of calm. So for a kid who's angry, I would say, you know, let's try squeezing some Play-Doh. Let's try doing some push-ups against the wall. Let's try taking a walk. Let's try throwing a ball at the ground. So you can get some of that big energy out of your body in a safe way that's not going to hurt anybody else. So I do. I practice before they're upset, before they're angry, before they're mad, because then when it comes to that moment, with the next time they're mad, they know what it means when I say, let's do push-ups against the wall. It's not coming out of nowhere. And they've had that physical experience of trying it. And if it's something that they've enjoyed, then that's wonderful. I, I want them to be able to do that. I actually just did that last night. I, I, I was working with a child. We were talking, he gets anxious. That That's the reason why he sees me. And so we taught, we did a rainbow grounding activity. So, you know, something that's relaxing, but something that he could potentially do in school when he's feeling anxious. So we did it before. So he could get an idea of it. And he's like, this is cool. I like this, Janine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that and that's wonderful because you're you're really, you know, giving them an array of different tools that they can use outside of your office. I mean, that's the goal, right? Is to be able to deal with those emotions and, and cope with them when they come up. Really like that. And and for me, I know I use I'm a positive discipline parent educator, and we often talk about kind of having a positive time out place when we start feeling that, you know, that red <laughs> in our body and, and what is it that we can do and, and go there. And I have them set it up beforehand. So it sounds very similar to just have, you know, a lot of tools in your back pocket to, to be able to process things really like that. So I do have a question about, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned TV shows and screens. These days, I have been more and more concerned about our digital world, and especially for young children. So I'm wondering, like, do you see as a, you know, m professional mental health um, person, are you seeing the effects of screen and social media on our teens' anxiety and confidence and so forth? 
So I think that we've seen an increase in anxiety since the pandemic, absolutely. But I will say as a mental health professional, I was seeing it before the pandemic as well. Um, And I think there's a lot of things that go into the increase in anxiety that we're seeing. And I wouldn't say that I would only think that it is because of social media. I think um, there is a piece of it that has to do with social media in particular. And I sort of like to separate social media from screens as because being on Snapchat and Instagram as a teenager versus being, you know, talking online with your friends playing video games or being able to chat with them online, it can be very different, um, different interactions with them um, that way. But I think that, you know, social media does play a role. And especially for kids who are vulnerable, I think it can exacerbate the issue of anxiety. But I also think it's one of those things we have to figure out with our teenagers, what is the best approach to having um, some screen time rules, some screen time interactions, because that is a way that they do interact, um, not only for school, but also with each other. So what are the rules? What are, how do you feel about it? What does your body feel when you are on this different, these different platforms? Um, are there ways that you can limit how much time you are on there? It really becomes a conversation and where they are starting to figure out what are the, the sort of um, things that they need to learn how to do to manage themselves um, when they are on screens. It can be very, very tricky. I mean, I would assume that it's very tricky because I, you know, I'm a full grown adult and it's tricky where, <laughs> you know, tech industry has has made it so that we are kind of glued to our to our screens and, and the social media and all of that. So and I, and I like how you made that distinction between more passive use and more, you know, active use of of the digital world. But one thing like for you as a professional, do you feel that there is an age where it is appropriate to be more or less on on screens or or digital devices like do you recommend uh, an age I have a really hard time doing that only because I think it depends on the family and I think it depends on the child you know there are certain children whose brains are more susceptible to the the hits that happen for them when they are on screens versus other kids who aren't as invested. And I, I will say, I am lucky in that I have children who their brains are just not invested in it. <laughs> like they just, they don't want to be on Snapchat. They don't want to be on Instagram. Um, and so we haven't had to wrestle with that as much as other families had. You know, I think there was questions about when to give phones, when to allow phones, when to allow um, having more access to to social in that way. Um, and one of the things we had decided on as a family, just for, for us, we made the decision that middle school was a time. Um, so in our area, that's sixth, seventh, eighth grade, where our kids were able to get a phone, um, but kind of locked down. So not necessarily on all the social media sort of things, but you can text, you can call. And that was really because they were at an age where they no longer were getting on and off the school bus um, right outside of our door. So they were, they were right, right. 
they were staying after school, you might need a ride. And it's a little bit trickier as opposed to when we were growing up or when I was growing up and, you know, I could go and use a payphone. It's, or I, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit trickier that, than um, now. I mean, they can go into the office, but maybe the secretary's not there. And that, that had actually happened a few times with our children. So um, we allowed for a phone for our oldest. And our, I got to tell you, my younger one has not expressed an interest. He has a smartwatch and that is how he contacts us. And he doesn't want a phone. <laughs> he's, just, he's like, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to drop it. <laughs> Smart boy. I like that. <laughs> he, yeah. He's really aware of that. So he's like, I just, I would rather just be able to like call you or text you on my watch. And then, you know, one of those things, as he gets to high school, he'll probably need a phone at that point. Um, but not it's not a rush he's not in a rush for it so for us we waited until middle school I've heard of um, kids in elementary school getting them I didn't feel comfortable with that myself I just and my kids are just that much older in terms of like digital exposure like they're just a little bit older than like those younger kids who are coming up now who are seeing like smartwatches weren't a thing when my kids were in elementary school so it's different yeah, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm old school. The, the, the longer we can wait, the better. But I'm, I'm fascinated by, by your children's, like they, they're not interested in those social media apps. Any conversations that you've had around that that you want to share as to why they're not? You know, I would say it's it's interesting because my daughter was interested when she was in like late elementary school because I think she saw a lot of her friends starting to get into it. And um, she set up some accounts by herself without permission. Mm-hmm. And we had some conversations around that about, you know, internet safety and why we didn't want her to do those things and um, what could happen? What are the benefits of it? And so we we had some pretty open conversations around that. Um, and, you know, we had said, we're, we're not like wanting you to do that. We want you to be able to communicate with people, but we also don't want you to communicate with these people you don't know. Um, so we had some pretty open conversations about that, which was really interesting. And, you know, we tried to be very careful not being, we wouldn't want her to feel shame or you know, bad because, but she made a mistake and it was some, it was a conversation point. It was a teachable moment. And then we went on from there. So um, it's been interesting. So she was away from it for a little bit. And then recently she just started high school and a bunch of people actually communicate via Snapchat. And so she downloaded it and she was like, um, it automatically connected her with all these other people that she wasn't friends with anymore. And she's like, she deleted the app. She's like, I just don't even want to deal with that. Like, I want to only talk to people I know. I don't want to talk to people I don't know. So that really did stick with her um, over the years. So it, 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 you know, it's just the start of a conversation and it's not really done, right? Because you continue to come back to it over and over and over again as things change and she matures and they grow up and they have new friends and they're experiencing new things and wanting to try new things. So it's always a work in progress. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just fascinated. I wanted to, to know like what their thinking was because it's, you're not the first uh, parent to share that their children are just not interested. And I'm just feeling like there's a, an awareness among that generation of like, well, this isn't like essential, (laughs) 
right? Because the the tech industry has made it feel like, you know, we can't live without it, but they're they're figuring out that no, it's it's fine without. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that you mentioned uh, that we were kind of having a conversation offline before uh, I pressed record about how important it is to have coping skills for our children, but also for ourselves. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, people often ask me, like, I want to teach my kids coping skills. Um, but I don't, I don't really know my own coping skills. <laughs> and I think that is um, a great awareness that we need to bring to this ourselves to know um, one of the greatest things that we can do is model healthy, healthy coping skills for our children. So it, in order for us to model it, we actually need to walk the walk. We need to not only sit, talk about it, but we also need to show it and and show them when I feel frustrated, I do this. When I feel excited, I do this. When I get mad, I do this. And these are all these things that are healthy and safe that we can all do and enjoy. So, you know, I go, when I get frustrated, I go to the gym um, and I work out or I, I take a class or I walk when I, you know, need a break, when I, my brain needs a break, I do drawing or I work on a puzzle. And again, going back to that almost like narration of what you're doing at points through your day or through your week so that they understand. But here's the thing. When we are parenting, it is exhausting. It is a lot of work. It is emotionally tough sometimes. It's hard to keep our cool if we're not making sure that we're doing things that are restful for us or renewing for us or help us re-energize. So I often talk with parents about what are the things that bring you joy? What are the things that make you laugh? What are the things that give you rest? And how can you do something like that to help yourself during the day? Because you deserve that moment and you need that moment in order to continue to do the hard work of parenting. Yes, so true. I mean, it's it's really, you know, that that analogy of the oxygen mask, right, that we that we often refer to is that we need to to model that to our children that we need to take care of ourselves. And it's interesting because we were talking, you know, and you were saying how you did not like the term self-care. Why why is that? Well, because you know what? Um, I work a lot with um, especially educators and professionals and working, working with counselors. It is something that we are so good at talking about and so bad at doing. <laughs> And so uh, sometimes I think we just need to shift our thinking around it. And instead of thinking about self-care and it, be, it feeling like it needs to be like an entire day at the spa, whereas you can take these little moments to re-energize yourself and, you know, have a cup of tea and take a few minutes and have a, have a few deep breaths before you start your day. Really focus on, you know, what your coffee smells like and looks like um, and tastes like just for a moment before things get going in the morning rush of everything. Being able to get outside and just take a few deep breaths and do what you need to do to get to gather yourself and come back in. It really it doesn't have I feel like sometimes self-care feels like super big and I like to think super practical and tiny. Like what can I fit into a day? <laughs> Right, right. And fit into to different moments of the day, because it's true, like self care has gotten, you know, we talk a lot about it, but it's true that it's, 
sounds like it's another thing to put on the to-do list where, where, where it, it's not very motivating when, when we think of it that way, at least. Right. And that's what I love to think of it as like, this is, I, I, you know, I've really been trying to shift my thinking around rest because I have a hard time resting and feeling okay without doing something. And then I, I just have to shift my thinking about it. And it's, this is helping me. So I will be ready to do the things that I need to do tomorrow. This is helping to free my brain so I can be more creative and more thoughtful in the work that I'm going to do. So resting really is essential. Like it's a part of the things that we need to do in order to continue to do the work that we're doing. Amen to that. Uh, rest is so important. <laughs> so thank you for that. Well, this this has been wonderful um, to to get to know you and, and this amazing work that you're doing. And as we wrap up, if I could ask a more personal question, if I may. Sure. So you mentioned that uh, you have two children, and I know you told me offline that they were 12 and 15. Mm-hmm. So if you were to go back maybe 16 years ago when you were uh, expecting your first one, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Oh, gosh, I think I would say you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. That doesn't ruin them. That doesn't mean that you're a bad person or a bad parent. You're going to make mistakes and that is okay. And give yourself grace. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you. Any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? You know, I would just say, I want people to know that they matter too. Their their care matters, their coping skills matter. And it's okay for you to find something that makes you laugh and brings you joy and to take a few minutes and do it. It's okay to do it. Mm, love that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Janine. This has been wonderful. And I appreciate your time and your wisdom uh, today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.